Yes. This is a small question. Um, so I was just listening to some kirtan that came up on my Pandora, and um, he 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 split up the Maha Mantra, and he did what he did was he split it just like you do, but he also did Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Hare, and he did that twice, and then he did the Hare Ram part twice. So I was just wondering about that. Well, uh, um, in one sense, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has instructed us in Ishi Shastaka there are no hard and fast rules for chanting the holy name. And the, um, he also recommended the chanting of the Maha Mantra as described in uh, Chaitanya Bhagavat. And of course, the Maha Mantra, Maha, Nam Maha Mantra, is is mentioned in the Kali Santra and Upanishad as the remedial uh, measure for uh, Kali Yuga. <clears throat> uh, it's mentioned also in a couple of different Puranas. I think in the Agni Purana and the Brahma Purana, uh, and perhaps other places as well. And, but in the Kali Santra and Upanishad, it's particularly mentioned as a 16. Uh, Word mantra, itisodasakam nam nam kalikam ashanashanam. And uh, I have not seen that Upanishad in, in its original form, or, uh, and for that matter, it might be hard to sort out one, but I, uh, but I have heard that in the, that Upanishad, I guess in, in the oldest manuscripts that it's um, stated Hare Ram, Hare Ram, 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 Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Um, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu introduced it Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, 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 Hare Hare. So your question is kind of similar, kind of related to that. You heard someone chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, and then he chanted that again. Then I guess he chanted Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare, and that again. And in that way, kind of broke up the the, the chanting. So um, your your question is is about that. And as I say, it seems somewhat related to the history that I'm recalling, relating, describing. <clears throat> And uh, that, in relation to Mahaprabhu's statement in Shikshastakam, that there are no hard and fast rules for chanting the holy name. So given that uh, the Maha Mantra is a Nam Mantra, um, I think that Mahaprabhu's uh, statement in Shikshastakam uh, applies. Hmm. Um, just to layer this a little bit further um, as we just, just, just discuss it. There is a Gaudiya uh, sect that maintains that the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra can only be chanted in Japa and not in Kirtan. And they cite various references um, <clears throat> to support uh, that and I think they do refer to the Chaitanya Bhagavat and Mahaprabhu's. Perhaps there speaks about counting the name, something like which is counting is something we typically do with the um, the japa of a mantra. So this many times, you may count on the fingers like this. And so there are rules with regard to the japa, hmm? and. Um, And so they, the, the, the basis of that idea, interestingly, if I may, is that the, the, um, the uh, devotee who um, made such a claim and then sought he and his followers to support that scripturally, um, he was a, a powerful person in his own right, but um, the story goes that he was uh, traveling 
alone in Bengal, and he was um, chanting the Mahamantra uh, in Kirtan. And he came across some boys herding cows in Bengal, and they approached him and said that um, the uh, Hare Krishna, uh, Sri Krishna, what did they say? Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Hare Krishna Hare Ram Shri Radhe Govinda hmm. that this should be chanted in Kirtan and Hare Krishna Nitai Gaur Radhe Sham Japa Hare Krishna Hare Ram Nitai Gaur Radhe Sham Nitai Gaur Radhe Sham Japa Hare Krishna Hare Ram Shri Radhe Govinda <laughs> something like that so um, he took that to be a spiritual epiphany and instruction from um, beyond and instituted that policy he instituted that policy and then they sought to support the policy because everybody was chanting the Maha Mantra in Kirtan, and they supported it to their own satisfaction. And that sect today um, follows that uh, policy. They're very prominent in Puri, in all of the Leela Stalis, the places of pastimes of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. There, many of them are there doing 24-hour Kirtan shifts, and that's what they, they chant. They chanted both things, they chant Nitai Radhe Sham Japa Hari Krishna Hari Ram. Right? And they chant, what's the other one? Nitai Gaur Radhe Sham Hari Krishna Hari Ram. So, Sri Chaitanya Nitai. Anyway, yeah, that's, that, that's their practice. Um, and largely the rest of the community uh, ignores them in that regard and does not take their support um, to be definitive Um, and from my limited experience of interaction with their many many numerous sects of Gaudiya Vaishnavism with different emphases Hmm. This is a particularly a different um, emphasis. Um, for example, um, that uh, they kind of live and let live. Hmm. Um, certainly, there was an attempt, I believe, in the contribution, literary contribution of Krishna Kaviraj, Chaitanya Charitamrita to 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 establish an Gaudiya orthodox orthodoxy Mm -hmm. Hmm? Um, based on the writings of the Goswamis. Chaitanya Charitamrita is very, very faithful to the writing of the Goswamis. Before the writing of the Goswamis, then Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was moving about and influencing people and they were coming up with different conceptions of who he was and how to follow him and so on and so forth. Some of them um, were accepted by Krishnadas, some of them were rejected by Krishnadas. Some of them were um, ignored, not accepted, not rejected. Explicitly, there's, it can be argued that some of them were implicitly rejected in a subtle way. So this has, just as in a general way, has, has, has been the, the kind of um, mood.
of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. It's not. It hasn't been, in many respects, in your face, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, to to a large extent. Um, Vrindavan Das is, is a little bit in your face, and uh, in his Chaitanya Bhagwat, um, and uh, a bit of an exception there. He takes exception, for example, uh, strongly to the idea that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna, and therefore he can be worshipped exactly like Krishna is, and approached as if he were Krishna. And so one of the valid approaches to Krishna is to approach him in uh, romantic love. Hmm? And so there is a there's a couple of sects that posit which Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna himself, he's Rasaraj, and therefore he can be approached in this way. They're called like Nadia Nagarbhav. Hmm? There's a couple of shades of it. Um, uh, one of the shades of it is that that Vishnu Priya, the consort of Mahaprabhu, and Mahaprabhu are worshipped like Radha and Krishna, and then the devotees see themselves as Manjaris of 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 the two, and then there's those who want direct um, relationship with Mahaprabhu. In romantic love, Manjaris hmm. don't have direct relationship. They serve Radha and Krishna. So, so these ideas um, were very much uh, objected to very overtly by Brindavan Das in his um, Chaitanya Bhagavat. In very strong language, he speaks out about this. Um, he, the, philosophically or theologically, he, he makes the point that yes, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna, but we worship him, Krishna relative to his mood. So the mood he's appearing in is, is in the pursuit of Radha Bhav. So if we worship him like Krishna, hmm, then we're not acknowledging the mood and the, and the, the inner purpose of his, of his descent and so forth. So he, he objects to it. Now, Krishna Das is a much more subtle person in, in, in his writing, although he is strong and in, in, in your face in, in, with a couple of issues. He's in, definitely in your face with regard to Mayavad. Hmm? He gets a bit in the, your face about Tattvavad also, of the Madhvas. Hmm? Um, a little bit. Um, he's more subtle in his opposition to the Ramanuja's opposition to the budding Gaudiya Sampradaya and its bona fides and so forth. Um, but with regard to other Gaudiya sects, like, for example, the, the Nagari Bhav sector hmm, that I just mentioned, he makes a statement that um, could very well be construed to uh, be taking uh, exception to that. He says that, that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, that, that, that Gopi Bhav, Parakya Bhav, is only uh, possible with Prajendranand and Krishna. Hmm. He makes that statement. Hmm. Um, that's the, the gist of it. I'm paraphrasing it. He doesn't make it in the in the context of making an argument against the Gornagar Bhav necessarily, but he makes the statement, and some many Gaudias have taken it to be. Saying the same thing that that Rindabandas says in a more subtly, hmm? because if you can only have Paraki above with Brajendranand and Krishna, and it could be argued what he's saying is you can't have it with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Now the opposition will say, well, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Brajendranand and Krishna, hmm? so they you know when our, they won't necessarily accept it, that that is a a deviation. Um, 
There is another section in Chaitanya Charitamrita where the Kandavasis are mentioned, and that's where this Nagarbhav is prominent. Hmm? And uh, that with regard to the Kirtan at Rathiatra. So different groups were performing Kirtan at Rathiatra. And um, I think he mentions that they were under themselves. They were there, but it's like they were there, but they weren't accepted by everybody else. But they were there. Then, then at the same time, amongst those who, at least over time, have been identified with that group, and who, 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 to whom uh, poetry in that Baba is attributed, this is later over time, are were certainly very powerful, influential, close close associates, I would say, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm. So it gets a little little subtle. Now whether those statements attributed to them are actually theirs or they were interpolated later, that's a question that one could bring up. The way Pujapada Sridharmarsh looked at it was more like they are looking at Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and seeing Krishna and then speaking this way about Krishna internally. Of course, it's very apparent that there's there is no external in the Leela of Mahaprabhu Parakya going on with him. He's married to Vishnu Priya. She... Um, and prior to that, he married Lakshmi Priya. She passed away. He married Vishnu Priya at the request of his mother. Um, uh, he's not. There's absolutely zero, less than zero, uh, evidence that he, in any way, had any relationships with women outside of those two married relationships, other than playing some pranks on young girls in his Boganda Leela and his boyhood Leela on the bank of the Ganges amongst whom Lakshmi Priya was there and he kind of in a in a kind of proposed to her so to speak um in in jest and of course married her shortly thereafter but um Shikshaka Nyasikula Nayaka we sing it every morning here. He was a perfect example of householder and a perfect example of the renounced uh, monastic uh, sannyas approach. Uh, to the ideal that he uh, was uh, disseminating. Um, so, um, with regard to his household life, there's two, there's these two divisions: his household life and his sannyas life. Right? Um, in his household life, there's there's no. If there was any such, um, what would be on its face in the public eye immoral and appropriate behavior, it would have completely ruined his efforts to disseminate his teaching. Indeed, he took sannyas for the purpose of disseminating his teaching because it would bring respect and create a teachable moment. So something like this, you couldn't do something worse, so to speak, if you're trying to create a teachable moment, right? Right? I mean, and the teaching is what it is. It, it culminates in the fact that he's Krishna. But I mean, uh, you got to teach that before. Uh, if you if you do things that create the opposite of teaching moments and and bring question to your character and so forth, you're not going to get anywhere. So his, his his household life is perfect. Nobody disagrees with that. His sannyas life is perfect, and there's an emphasis on the perfection of his sannyas life with regard to uh, celibacy and um, proper behavior according to the ashram. Indeed, he frightened these older sannyasis um, from uh, the Shankar line who came to him um, by the strictness of his adherence and so forth. So in the manifest Leela, there is no scent of this whatsoever. Um, and what is, as far as bhavas that are the substance 
of both the, both the manifest and the unmanifest Leela. Um, they're the same. So in the apricot Leela of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, you're not going to find different bhavas, arguably, than you find in the in the prakat leela. So there's no parakya in the in the manifest leela. How can there be in that leela? So the nagar bhav devo- devotees, as far as I understand, they posit a third idea of a leela. Uh, they call it kind of like a swapna leela, some kind of a dream-like mystical dream-like. Leela that they enter into, and, and that's where they have their their justification for it, and so on and so forth. But they're a, a separate uh, separate group, hmm? and um, um, I would say, for the most part, not included within the orthodoxy of of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Not in, not really. Their bhava is not entertained. And taught in Chaitanya Charitamrita, for example, it's, it's very strongly opposed in Chaitanya Bhagavat. So, we follow Krishna Das Kaviraj. We feel okay with that. We follow Vrindavan Das Thakur, and we feel okay with that. You may have your arguments for Nagar Bhav and supporting it, but we, we follow them. We're comfortable with that, and other successive charges. Uh, Bhagi Binod took exception to Nagar Bhav and and so forth. Um, it's um, it, where it comes, like it's kind of complicated with 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 Gorgadhar, worship of Gorgadhar. It that becomes complicated, but um, theologically. But at any rate, um, I'm speaking about kind of a mood that there is some in your faceness of sorts, but Brindabandas's or Krishnadasa's kind of heaviness, if you will, another way of putting it, is mostly with regard to Mayavad, and he's a little heavy about Tattvavad also, accusing the, the Madhva charges of being uh, um, advocating Jnana and Karma, um, mixed Bhakti. and It's brief, but it's a little strong. Uh, they they take exception to it, um, but those are not Godias. With regard to Godias, he's 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 um, soft. Vrindavan hmm? Das is an exception with regard to other Godias. He makes this takes this strong position, as I said, with regard to the Nagarbhav. But by and large, over the centuries, um, my perception is that there's more like a live and let live, kind of a, oh, and, and you know, let's say, let's take the Dhams, so the, the Jagannath Puri Dham, Vrindavan Dham, places within Vrindavan, let's say Radhakund, where, where devotees gather, and perhaps devotees of a certain lineage uh, take precedence there and have established their themselves for centuries. Um, so, for example, at Radhakund, the line of Raghunath Das Goswami um, is, is the prominent lineage there. But Radhakund belongs to everybody. It doesn't belong to them. So if somebody from one of these other sects wants to come to Radhakund, you can't say, you can't, you know, you can't come here and, and raise sectarian walls and so on and so forth. And I said, oh, say that. So the Vishnu Priya, you know, worshippers are here today. I don't know if they'll come to Radhakun because they, they won't change even Radha's name, but um, that's another group emphasis. Anyways, <laughs> there's a lot of different uh, types and so forth, and they just kind of live and live. And, and um, um, it, and there may be largely an, an acceptance of the fact that the Gaudiya Vaishnavism is, is, is varied, and the variety of it is is its beauty, the ornamentation of its advaigyan tattva, its non-dual um, philosophical ground tattva, chintibeda bed is also called advaigyan tattva, out of which a variety of expression arises. And so 
not everybody is that learned. Not everybody um, looks to see if this new variety is well grounded in the tattva, or whether it's outside of that, which would include rasa tattva and so on and so forth. So there's largely an acceptance, and and there's also, you know, you're talking about hundreds of years where there is not much opportunity for these sects to interact and have much uh, communication with one another. If you have to walk from Vrindavan to Navadweep, you don't do it too often. Hmm? So things have changed, right? In modern age, as far as communication, the world's become that much smaller and so forth. Um, and and <clears throat> our sect has been a little in your face by comparison. Um, but that was also something that arose in relation to um, the entirety of the modern world which was interfacing with Gaudiya Vaishnavism in an in-your-face manner. So, for example, the modern world came to India through the British, Europeans, and they sought to convert all the pagans to the true religion, right? Um, and they, they 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 conquered India, so to speak. They ran it for 200 years, and uh, they all the Indians were were like back of the bus, you know, citizens of the British Republic, and their religion um, was largely considered to be pagan, heathen, uh, and so on and so forth. And uh, so those who were uh, Experiencing the confrontation of Europe, for example, I think Calcutta was the head, the hub of the British Empire, and so you had Indian Hindu intellectual religious people who were dealing with this phenomenon, where some Babaji over at Govardhan, you know, didn't didn't really encounter it, so to speak, and our Bhakti Vinodaka was right there in the center of it at all. In fact, I refer to him as the first Western convert because he was schooled by the British and and he even was raised with a bias towards the Bhagwat and its its religion. Hmm? Um, until, of course, he got a copy of Chaitanya Charitamrita and, and understood the Bhagwat and then in light of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu then he became a Godia, became a convert, right? And so then he sought to, you know, respond back. So that's a little bit of a where some of this adversarial, you know, in your faceness that we find in our lineage comes from. It's a little out of character in one sense with the history, as I uh, understand it, of the sampradaya kind of a live and let live amongst one another. Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur took the lead of Bhakti Vinod to reach out and uh, spread Gaudiya Vaishnavism to other parts and so on and so forth. And he took it so seriously that he um, also, in order to do that, he felt that he had to critique his own tradition as well, hmm? which had its shortcomings, had its faults, had its misrepresentations, um, that was that was also begun by Bhaktivinoda. He listed, I think, thirteen sects that that were uh, identified themselves with Mahaprabhu's teaching, which he said were not um, uh, followers of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in terms of the Siddhanta, the Goswamis, hmm? Orthodox. So, so um, a further attempt. To establish the orthodoxy of of Gaudiya Vaishnavism by way of recognizing heterodox sects, deviant sects, and so forth, uh, that was done subtly by Bhakti Vinod, and it was and that was kind of taken in like a needle, you know, on like a plow type um, way by Bhakti Siddhanta, who. Uh, because you have to understand that the British were very um, morally, you know, um, at least, uh, you know, the Victorian sensibilities, chastity belts and uh, 
so on and so forth was uh, uh, and then the Indians are not really they, before the British they weren't really sexually kind of uptight you know people and you find that in their iconography in the temples goddesses naked cupids and all kinds of stuff that that the, the British were just like oh, mm-hmm. oh. you know uh, terrible um, hold on so um, so uh, so Bhakti Siddhanta, uh, so so you know the Bhagwat religion. Uh, it's said uh, somewhere that uh, the British felt that the Vaishnavism that they counted was the close contact was the closest thing to the true religion until they hit Gaudiya Vaishnavism and Balabha Vaishnavism, which are centered on the Bhagavatam and the and the Parakya love of Krishna. Is that here it all just really goes down the drain, right to hell, hmm? um, and the and even the uh, some of the leaders of the Balaba Sampradaya in the Bombay area there was a court case against them by the British because some of them were in the name of the Bhagwat religion they themselves were um, engaged in immoral activities and so forth and so. Um, Given that this was also happening to some extent in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, Bhakti Siddhanta felt the need, if he was to establish the beauty, the charm, and the um, truth of Gaudiya Vaishnavism to the modern world, he would have to critique his own tradition. And so he was a little in your face, quite in your face and heavy about about that. And um, and so coming out of that, um, I think we have to understand the history of that and how things could move in a different direction and and uh, in time as uh, the dissemination grows or as it's responded to in different ways. I mean, now the British colonialism is you know not a popular thing amongst a large sector of educated people. Um, So that's quite a change. You know, you don't have to struggle with that. Uh, just to give you one example. So I'm, I realize I'm giving a roundabout and long answer to your question, but these are interesting, interesting thoughts. Yeah. Um, yeah. Since you brought it up, um, I, I don't remember where exactly it was or which temple it was, but when I was in India with my folks, I remember we went to this temple and like all on the outside was like carvings of like Hindu gods just having sex no yeah and not only that but just like (laughs) intricate nudity and so for me like growing up in an Indian family where it's like you don't talk about sex and it's like it doesn't exist until you're married kind of thing you know and then so when I saw it I was like how does this yeah I think that uh, you know you'd have to look um, uh, pre-British India when all that iconography was was put together and so forth and I think you you find a different uh, way of looking at things. I think the sexism um, of India is uh, that you find today that's it's, it can be horrific and and uh, dangerous for for women um, is uh, is is largely a very something that they're carrying from. Um, British times and so forth, moral sensibilities, and uh, I mean, not that the Varnashram isn't morally kind of staunch, uh, stout. It, it, it is, but um, let's take if you want to take, for example, you want to take homosexuality, which is something that that some people are very militant against, in the name of being morally stout, and so forth. Um, I mean, it's it's not even practically brought up in Hinduism. One place in a in the uh, Manusamhita, it's brought up that it's a minor sin for a Brahmin to to to, to do that. Which is then you got a, well, a Brahmin who's an 
it would not that he was a homosexual, but he did that. Or, you know, it's a, anyway. So it's it's it's, uh, and then you got the Kama Sutra, which is a whole whole treatise on erotic love and so forth, and uh, and the whole Gopi Bhav is all. It's tied to the Kama Sutra also. It's a transcendental Kama Sutra. So, so it's it's there's reason to believe that prior to the British, they had a morally stout perspective that was at not at the same same time such that it became a neurosis and uh, and uh, it turned you know into an uptightness that just played out in other ways. That were inappropriate. I mean, you have the same, like in my generation. Um, then there was the we we had a you know it was free love was the idea. It was, it was the beginning of let's get over this sexual uptightness, right, and so forth. But you know it could be overdone too. Um, it's it's kind of overdone. I mean, in my opinion, um, so. At any rate, um, with um, um, so given this kind of, um, I want to say um, Hinduism. Let's go from go to Vaishnavism. Hinduism. Hinduism is by nature tolerant and by nature inclusive. The Abrahamic religions, by comparison, are intolerant and uh, exclusive. Christianity is the only way, unless you're listening to the Muslims. They're they're the only way, unless you're listening to the Jews. They're they're pretty much the only way. They're the chosen ones. Okay, Hinduism is diverse and broad. And um, and it tends to be inclusive, mm-hmm. um, and tolerance. It tends to be uh, tolerant in a positive way. Tolerance can have a kind of a negative connotation. All right, we're going to tolerate you, mm-hmm. but you're you're bad. You're wrong. Not like that, but in a positive kind of sense. Okay, you're. There's one God, or maybe there's more than one even, but there's an absolute with many faces, you could say, and I guess these guys seen another face, and they do it like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you have the interaction between Hindus and the Muslims, um, but the Muslims were attacking the Hindus. I mean, they invaded India, they took over India, they... They oppressed the Hindus and so forth. The Hindus didn't go conquering, you know, after the the Middle East and so forth. So it tends to be, my impression, more of a self-content tradition. And in their self-contentedness, it is such that their faith does not need an enemy. It said that weak faith requires an enemy. Got to find somebody to blame, hmm? right? And there's also the influence of of Rajaguna. So, um, you know, India is a la- you know there are mystics in every tradition, but India is like a land of of mystics. You have a Gyani mystics, you have Yogi mystics, you have different types of Bhakti um, mystics. I mean, there may be false mystics too, but there's there are some real extraordinary people um, mystics in, in the Hindu tradition it's it's, it's like a, a fertile 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 ground for that which we see uh, it's less common I would say in, uh, in other traditions and, uh, and and there's a strong place for a mystic in the religious orientation because the religious orientation is Dharma, Artha, Kama, and Moksha. So the Moksha is included in a religious ideal, even though it leaves the religious ideal. Moksha takes us from Karma to Gyan, right? 
Hmm? From action in the world under the modes to inaction and internal movement and wisdom and so forth. But it's part of the system. Hmm? So it's not a, perhaps as clear in in the uh, Islamic faith or the Christian faith or the Jewish faith that there's a mystical dimension of it, which is really the culmination of it. I mean, Jesus was the mystic of the Jewish people, and the Jewish people rejected him. Hmm? So it happens. Um, uh, it, to me, it would appear that the Sufis are the mystical the tradition of the, is the Islamic faith, but the, but the Islam rejects the Sufis uh, largely as well. Um, I don't know that much about the Jewish mystics, but anyway, so it's kind of built in into the Hindu tradition. So I, I think it is a, um, um, a kind of a tradition that is is tolerant and comfortable with itself and comfortable with the, with the idea that there can be different expressions of the um, of uh, mm, that are spiritual um, um, even while it posits a certain criteria by which you determine whether someone's spiritual or not it's overdone too so the Indians will just can be overly accepting they will fault Hindus will fall to that degree and some guy makes himself to be a god, and they go, okay, another god. <laughs> There's another god. <laughs> I guess he's a god. Okay. Yeah, worship him like this. Could be. Here's a book. It says it. And he wrote it. You know. Okay, another Upanishad. You know, they can be overly accepting. But in one sense, it's better to err on that side. <laughs> Prabhupada's father was like that. <clears throat> Prabhupada said that his father would invite any sadhu or any person that even looked like a sadhu passing by to come to his house. And some of them were, weren't so sadhu-like in their character in Prabhupada's own estimation and it it caused him to have some doubt about sadhus in hmm? such that when he was invited to meet Bhakti Siddhartha said, oh, I've seen so many sadhus my father's got a different sadhu every night in his, in his place you know, this one's different, come and see of course he saw him and saw the difference and, and uh, took up the, the um, as a follow, came, came a follower of Bhakti Siddhartha but um, in my opinion, you know that that can be a problem, but it's a worse problem, perhaps, to be sectarian, have weak faith that needs an enemy, and then it becomes religious fundamentalism, and it, and it becomes very sectarian, and then and then the tolerance and the kindness and compassion and so forth is seems to be be lacking in the name of rules and and laws and so on and so forth. Um, so, you know, with regard to the Maha Mantra and the point that you bring up, let's go back to um, the Kali Santra and Upanishad and the fact that Mahaprabhu said the Maha Mantra beginning with Hare Krishna rather than beginning with Hare Ram, as some say it is recorded in the Upanishad. The way that some people deal with that is that they say, well, because it was a Vedic mantra, hmm? which can't be chanted by everybody, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu changed it by putting Hare Krishna first, and then it could be chanted by everybody. Some people make that claim. I don't think that that's very well thought out, because the Upanishad itself says this is, that the chanting the names of God, Kirtan, is the way hmm, of Kali Yuga. The, the, the Yuga Dharma, of Kali Yuga is Nam Kirtan. The Upanishad is saying that. And what Brahma asks, or Narada asks Brahma further is which names should be chanted? So why would Brahma then give out a Vedic mantra that not everybody can chant and it can't be chanted in Kirtan? It's more like Brahma was chanting it internally and he said, Hari Ram, Hari Ram, 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 Hari Hari, Hari Krishna, 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 Hari Hari. Because it just goes round and round and round and round. And if it becomes audible, the silent becomes audible at some point, it might sound like Hari Ram first. <laughs> Something like that, I think, would be a more accurate way to explain the difference if, if there indeed there, there, there is one. And of course, we there are many 
um, supports that um, for chanting the Maha Mantra in Kirtan, that that one sect I mentioned apparently was didn't, didn't research far enough to um, uh, to come in touch with. Um, there are a number of them, um, and and we see it in Mahap, Mahap, the description of Mahaprabhu by Sanat by Rupa Goswami describing him going to Puri, chanting loudly, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare. Although he says he was had a string with knots in it, but he was chanting loudly. That which when you chant uh, on a mala but loudly, it becomes an anga of kirtan. Hmm? When you chant silently, it becomes an anga of of smaranam. Um, but there are many other. Uh, I, I did research on it once. I don't think I wrote anything on it. But there's a lot of support, and of course, the vast majority, all except this one sect of Godius, they chant the Maha Mantra in Kirtan. Um, so um, I, I don't think there's a rule that you can't chant it in, in Kirtan. And the rule of Mahaprabhu is that there are no hard and fast rules for chanting the name in, in Sankirtan. And although this is a mantra, it's not a mantra that's in a formula that has to be said in a certain way. Hmm? With first the bija, followed by such and such and such. And such. Huh? Um, it's just names. Hmm? There are 16 of them, but they just, like I said, they just go round and round and round. There's no beginning to them, and there's no end to them. Hmm? It reaches down to the lowest, takes to the highest, and it's going on the lowest plane and it's continuing on the highest plane. So, um, the other, you know, then other more directly to your question. I mean, I've never heard it chanted like that, and I wouldn't necessarily do that. I don't know why he's doing that in Kirtan, um, um, but I wouldn't make much of it hmm? as if I mean I'll, just to give you an example um, in Prabhupada's mission Prabhupada always chanted almost always the Maha Mantra um, fully all 16 words and then there would be the response hmm? that was typically how he chanted there are some exceptions um, when he chanted like uh, uh, Hari Hari Nama Krishna Yadavai Hari Krishna Hari Krishna 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 Hari 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 Ram Hari Ram Ram. Sometimes I think maybe once on a recording he breaks it up like that, but, it, but typically he didn't. Now you have to understand also some some of the history of how Prabhupada formed his own mission. Prabhupada formed his mission um, by looking at the example of Gaudiya Math that he had very little direct experience of in that he didn't in as much that he didn't live in the moth as a brahmachari hmm? um, he his his more like ongoing and consistent association uh, seemed to be um, more prominent in the later phase of his life after the passing of bhakti Siddhanta when he associated with Sridhar Marsh and others and they were forming their moths and so forth and and of course, at a certain point, he took he renounced, and then he took sannyas formally. He lived in uh, Keshav Maharaj's moth. He was one of the founding members of it. He founded his um, school, was it League of Devotees in Jhansi. He tried that. Um, he associated with Sridhar Maharaj's moth, and, and and so on. Um, Ananta Vasudev, who became Puri Maharaj, was was a prominent uh, successor uh, in his own mind and the mind of some others for some time. And he organized in a certain way. Tirtha Maharaj was in a big obsession him. He organized in a certain way. So Prabhupada looked at these and he drew from that. So like you take Ananta Vasudev, he always chanted Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram, Hare Hare, and Kirtan without breaking it up. Hmm? Um, so I think Prabhupada, you know, adopted that hmm, way. Um, in other, some of the other Gaudiya moths, there's they break it up sometimes, not all the time, but but mostly, 
and so forth. So, for myself, I formed a little mission, um, I don't know, 40 years ago or so, something like that. And uh, and so, you know, we had then the experience of ISKCON, we had the experience of Chaitanya Saraswath Moth and some other Moths. And so I think you think, well, you know, take from here this, you take that, incorporate that. I like this, I like that. Mm-hmm. This will work, and this is why. And you got, you have your thoughts behind it, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I uh, so uh, I found that from a from a breath point of view, breaking up the mantra and kirtan works. You can go longer, mm-hmm. something like that, right? So typically, I incorporated that. Mm-hmm. So at one point, I was um, invited to the ISKCON San Francisco Rathiatra. Mm-hmm. At this time, they were doing it at a different place than they do now, although it was in Golden Gate Park, and it was a much smaller attendance, even than they have now, which is small. But um, um, yeah, I'm not sure if I was invited or not, but but I, but I was there. Um, and, I, and so I was going along, and um, this one sannyasi was there. I won't mention his name, but he was chanting, and like it was not working. Like nobody could kind of follow the the, the melody, hmm? and so so then he started yellow submarine. He said yellow submarine. So that's a, he was chanting the mom mantra in the melody. We all are in a yellow. It's a Beatles song, you know, from the '60s, or you know, in Golden Gate Park in San Francisco. So he had some some scars for that. That you know were supposed to be going away, but he was incorporating them into it. It was weird. Um, anyway, at a certain point, still like nobody could get it, and somebody gave the microphone to me to chant. So okay, I was handed, so I began to chant, and as I was chanting. Um, at some point, I changed the melody, and in that melody, I was what they call breaking up the mantra. And when that happened, that was like, you know, way worse than the yellow submarine. I mean, that was like, <laughs> forget it. You know, he's breaking up the mantra. You know, so it's they they quickly came and you know took the thing away, and that was one of the reasons became one of the reasons why we weren't bonafide. They break up the mantra. So I wouldn't respond like that <laughs> to the fellow who was chanting the way, the way you heard him. <laughs> um, you made the submarine sound. Yeah, <laughs> submarine sound. Yeah. So, does that answer your question? Yeah? Yes. Um, so, because I, I was actually talking to John about it, and I was like wondering, because it sounded really nice the way he was singing it. You know, he okay. So I was like, oh, I wonder if I could ever try leaving it like that. Better not. Yeah. Somebody recently asked me that they have heard um, something attributed to Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, and they wanted to know if I had heard it and what I thought about it, and I never did, so I'm asking you the same question. That one time Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur said that all spiritual advancement is given at the time of death, because if it was given before, we would become puffed up. Oh, I don't know. I never heard that. I mean, um, I've had spiritual advancement without dying. <laughs> Ego death is required. Um, but one thing that happens, it can happen at near and around the time of death, is that the it depends how you die, but if you die a nat- natural death rather than by accident um, or disease, then there's a um, you're going to expire more. You have kind of like an allotted parabdha karma, and um, it may not all play out in that life because, well, some people say because of accident or disease, and they don't attribute that to necessarily, let's say, accident. You say, well, that's his karma. So, you know, but anyway, it's a complicated affair, karma, right? So. Um, what is somebody else's parabda, <laughs> you know, how, that bumping into you? Hmm? How does that become your karma? 
And you know, if you're not careful, you take away the volition of everybody, which was what karma is based on. The whole basis of karma is that we have volition. If we don't have volition, there's no meaning to karma. Hmm? So it's hard to look at gravity as part of karma. So it's one of the factors of what happens. I mean, what's the what's what's the karma on Mars? Hmm? When the wind blows, is it, you know. So, <laughs> so, so you know, you don't want to have this broad brush. That uh, if you take a real broad brush, it becomes fatalistic. And again, it contradicts the whole basis of karma because the basis of karma is that there is volition. There are acts that we choose to do that have consequences. That's why, for example, we say in the less complex forms of life, where will is is more suppressed by the modes of nature, they don't accrue karma. So it's obvious that karma is accrued by acts of volition, thoughts and acts of volition. So things can happen to us that aren't part of our volition, but are a result of the volition of others. You know, So it's complicated. But, but at any rate, it's, anyway, there is this idea that all of your parabda may not expire in this life. So it's not simply that, that as soon as you die, all your parabd is finished. It might be. The likelihood of that happening is with a natural death. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's possible that in a natural death, so to speak, of old age, mm-hmm. that as that death arrives, this parabd is, is so much diminished, and then the spiritual practice that you have been cultivating that has been under the surface of the parabda and not in, able to manifest as fully as if it's if it has when it was not there, it, it releases, and there can be profound spiritual advancement, thinking thinking clearly at the time of death, and and so on and so forth. So he might have been referring to something, something like that. It's also you know for a sadhaka, it's a very intense time that he's that he or she's been kind of taught about, thought about, hmm? and typically, you know, with the dying of old age, natural death, then there's there's notice, you know, there's notice, getting older, and so there's a conscious, should be, typically there is moving in the direction of, of um, focusing oneself on more essentials and, and so forth. And then, of course, again, with the expiring, it, it, all of a sudden a huge amount of parabda can expire. That also happens to people. Another thing is this, you come into this life and typically typically, a good portion of the, of the, of the parabda from previous lives that is um, in the way, let's say, of a devotee making progress expires, then they become devotees. There's a certain point where he grows up, she grows up, and a certain age becomes a devotee. Hmm? So it's thought that a certain amount of parabdha, which was covering that kind of epiphany, or you know, had to be passed through, hadn't been dealt with sufficiently, drops off, and so. Do you think that, um, say, using painkillers at the time of dying? But it could affect that, or it's not really like. Um, could affect what? It could affect that. What you described of the parabdic falling off. In other words, if you're not fully conscious. You know, I don't look at it like that. I think that you know that that you have volition to take remedies, to even, you know, karma is like, you know, the like you want to if you want to forecast karma, astrologically, well, you know. There's a lot of variables, and one reader could predict something almost the opposite of another. It's like reading the stock market. You know, there's a way to read it. You can do technical analysis, looking at the history. You know, historically, this stock has done this. It's doing this again. We should expect this. And they've got a whole thing about it. You know, but I mean, one guy can give one analysis that's the opposite of the other, and the third one too. You know, so. Um, it's it's like possibilities. There are possibilities, hmm? possibilities, probabilities of how things could 
could play out, but your volition your own, can affect those. Hmm? That that's that would be the value in one sense of an astrological prediction. These signs are here, which could mean this. Therefore, it would probably be to your advantage not to go there on this day. That means by your own volition, you're doing something that is not allowing something to happen that might have happened, right? What's the point of having your your chart done, so to speak? You want to not just okay. Now I know all these things are going to happen. Okay, <laughs> but there's a chance that you, you may do something that they don't happen. Hmm? Um, like Prabhupada wouldn't travel on on a Thursday uh, morning. Hmm? Bhakti Siddhanta wouldn't travel on a Thursday morning. The way Prabhupada did it was, if he had to travel on a Thursday morning, he packed his bags Wednesday night. So he said, I started my travel Wednesday. It's something astrological. Um, I don't forget what they call it, but anyway. Um, so um, the things that we do to mitigate karmic uh, circumstances um, don't necessarily uh, postpone the inevitable happening. They may ward off something happening that would have happened um, otherwise. It's not like, well, I got sick. Now, if I go to the doctor and get a cure, um, I'm just postponing my, you know, prabhda karma from expiring. It's another way of dealing with the prabhda karma. It may be relative. Hmm? Um, good karma can cancel out bad karma. You can do good things that that will cancel out bad things from the past or um, ward them off. And uh, so, I wouldn't I wouldn't look at it like that. Hmm? I mean, that's kind of silly. Think about it. Okay, you're going to lead your whole life like that. Hmm? I'm not going to do anything to improve my life or minimize any suffering that I have because if I do, I, w- I will just prolong my material existence because I have this karma that I, I mean, how could you live your life like that? Nobody can. You would never go to the doctor. You would never take any any medicine, natural or otherwise, or or learn anything so that you could avoid certain things. You know, you understand? Okay. <laughs> yes, Maharaj. You mentioned some while ago about the complexity of <clears throat> of Gadadhar worship, and I understand the reason why you mentioned it's like intricate to become entangled in that. But on the other side, we hear things like Srila Bhakti Prabhupada Maharaj saying that if you want to worship Radha and Krishna Brat, you have to go, as you mentioned, to Gaur Lila, to enter into Krishna Lila, and, and, and the version, let's say, in Gaur Lila is Gadada. So which would be your, your your advice for someone who feels certain affinity towards yeah, that Radha, Krishna no, Gadada and not become tangled in that thing? Well, I, yeah, I think that you have to get learn Tattva and Gadadhar Pandit and so forth and, 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 and understand the Kornagar, you know, what we would call deviation in that regard. I, I just where that's where they kind of come in, you know, the, that in, in that place. So I'm not, yeah, Gorgadadhar Kijai. You should worship them. Yeah, yes. Um, about Ananda Nam's thing, um, one evidence was, I think it was Narada Muni gave somebody the, to, the name to chant was Mara. And then he just chanted Mara, Mara, Mara. And it turned it down. saying it gives explanation to the word Prabhupada used of untimely death. I could never understand how could death be untimely. Yeah, there you yeah. yeah. Long life is uh, is desirable to, to die a natural death. Hmm? And everything expires, right? The parabdas, this body expires of its own accord. Right? It plays itself out. There's something like I'm reading um, the story of Jad Bharat and um, no, excuse me, of Bharat Maharaj becoming a deer, and his mood was just gonna hang out here until his body expires because there's nothing I can do. I'm just 
Well, as a deer, there wasn't much he could do. But as a human, there might be a few things that you could do. Maybe. Well, it's good to know your limitations. Hmm? You know. You're doing all right. <laughs> all right. Yes. Regarding something you were saying before, the I read. I heard one talk from you some weeks ago that you were saying that it's, it's practically impossible to worship Sri Chaitanya and not be worshipping Sri Krishna, but maybe you can worship Krishna without worshipping Sri Chaitanya. And on Navadik Bhava Taranga, Bhaktinathakur mentions that those who worship Krishna go to Krishna pit, he mentioned, and those who worship Gora go to Gora pit, and those who worship both go well, go to both. Yeah. So you could mention something regarding that apparent contradiction of that there is some possibility of worship one and not worshiping the other in both cases. Um, well, I think what uh, what Bhaktivinoda Thakur is is speaking about is that um, there may be uh, in our sampradaya devotees who have an affinity, more affinity for Gaur Leela than for Krishna Leela. That's possible. There may be those who have more affinity for Krishna Leela than for Gaur Leela. And there may be those who have affinity for both. Hmm? And so uh, there's no avoiding the worship of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Gaudiya Vaishnavism. I mean, mm-hmm. that, but still, we may be worshiping Chaitanya Mahaprabhu with a view to enter into Krishna Leela without any imagination for entering into Gaur Leela. Like Bhaktivedanta Narayana Maharaj, he used those very terms. When asked about service in Gaur Leela, he turned and said, I don't have any imagination for that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, but of course he was a staunch worshipper of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu at the same time, but worshipping Chaitanya Mahaprabhu with a view to enter into Paraki Bhav and Krishna Leela. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then there may be those who... So we may say, sorry, in those cases there is the option of not having an eternal identity in Nityanavadi for them. Yeah, that option is there. Mm-hmm. That option is there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then, then there may now, now there may be those who have more affinity for Gorlila. They go to Gorlila, but it's very. If you enter into Gorlila, in Gorlila, you go to Krishna Lila and back. So you can't avoid Krishna in Gorlila. You can't avoid Gore to get to Krishna Lila, but you know you might be somewhat left behind. Then if you go deeply enough, you're going to be there in Gorlila again. So. But I think Bhaktivinoda is talking about a, 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 a particular affinity that would, so uh, that that perhaps he identified in different um, sects of, of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. There may be those, of course, who worship uh, Krishna and who are Gaudias, like the Balavas, like the Nimbarkis, and so forth, and want to enter Krishna Leela, and they don't worship Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. We wish them good luck, but. But it's, you know, it's possible. It's certainly prior to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance, there are examples of people attaining Krishna Leela, the Upanishads, the Dandakaran sages. Does that help? Yeah. All right, we'll stop there. Shishigo Radha Madhava Kijai, Go Premanandi.